Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfell. Well, today we continue our series, A Mission for Ministry, with a message entitled, Three Ways of Studying the Bible. Now, Dr. Newfell will reference a number of different scriptures, so have your Bible on hand as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I've been doing a series on our vision, the vision of Back to the Bible Canada. We teach the Bible, that, that's pretty much the entire vision, believing the Bible to be the Word of God, God's only inerrant and infallible written disclosure of Himself. We think it our mandate to make the Bible known in mass media. We dream of a day when it will be impossible to live in this country without having to decide what to do with Jesus, and on that basis, we think we have a role to play in making Jesus and His gospel and the story of the Bible known more widely. That is our mission. But last week, I not only shared what we think of the Bible, but I also shared a bit on the approach we take to the Bible. We believe that it is possible to interpret the Bible in such a way that we will tell its message in the way it was intended. And I wish to say that I, nor those who taught the Bible before me, were inerrant in our interpretation of the Bible. But I do say that a high view of Scripture, coupled with the willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to humble us and welcome the words of God, along with a careful consideration of the grammar, the context, and the historical background of a text, that puts us into a place where it is possible to interpret the Bible as it was written. Today and this week, I want to draw out some of the practical implications of that. Today, I want to say that we need to commit ourselves to studying the Bible in three ways. And and then tomorrow, I want to speak about how it's important to read the Bible with Jesus as its center. And the rest of the week, I want to speak about some of the themes that we're interested in stressing because they're the major themes of the Bible. But for today, if you're going to interpret the Bible rightly, every Bible interpreter must be committed to the value of three different approaches to Bible study. Now, the first won't surprise you. I've said it's important that we make the staple of our Bible study and start with the actual text that's before us. It's important to let the Bible do the speaking and not to impose our own meaning on the Scripture. We don't start with, you know, how to overcome anxiety or how to have a positive self-esteem or valuing your own sexuality or why we shouldn't abuse the environment or learning to turn our scars into stars or how to be the best person that we can be. We don't start with the things that might capture the widest audience possible and then hunt around for Bible verses in order to prove our point. We and I, as the Bible teacher, find this an illegitimate approach to the Bible. We and I think that this panders to the spirit of the age. And as has been said, anyone who marries the spirit of the age will soon find himself to be a widower very quickly. And that's to say, we're not breaking our necks, falling head over heels, running, huffing, and puffing to catch up with what the culture around us is thinking or capturing the political trends of our day. We believe that if one teaches the Bible as it's written, it actually forms a part of a timeless package. Teaching the Bible as it stands written is just as relevant in the first century as it is in the 10th century as it is in the 21st century and if Christ delays his coming, it's going to be that relevant 150 years from now. And so rather than starting with a theme and then hunting around to find appropriate Bible texts that prove that we're right in our approach to this matter, we're actually starting with a text of Scripture. If the matter before us is, let's say, Matthew 10, 
Well, we're going to be talking about persecution that arises from following Jesus. If we're talking about Acts chapter 2, we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. If it's Ephesians 1, we're talking about the definition of the blessings that are here in our salvation. And if we're starting with Revelation 22, we're going to be talking about the new heavens and the new earth that await for those who have trust in Jesus unto the end. In short, what we talk about at Back to the Bible Canada is determined by the Bible and the commitment that we have to follow the Bible through word by word, line by line, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. That is, we make it our aim that this program is not about us or about our philosophy or about the themes that we're excited about. See, we believe that if the Bible is what we think it is, then we ought to allow the Holy Spirit who inspired this book to set the stage for what's taught. And so from that perspective, we're committed that the first building block of how we study the Bible begins at the micro level. We start with a text of scripture. At the outset, I'll make a commitment. Let's say I'm teaching the book of Philippians. And I then, in advance of teaching the book, read it a number of times and I do an outline of it. After I've done that, I then put it into teaching units, determine just how many units I'm going to give to this book, and then my work has only begun. See, I want to make sure that I teach the text, not what I want to say. So let's say on a given day, I have Philippians 2, 5 to 11 before me. I want to make sure I outline those seven verses. I I make sure I understand the grammar of the text. I make sure I understand how our English translation is translating the original Greek text. Are there grammatical difficulties I need to resolve? And then before I teach the text, I want to make sure how that one paragraph fits into the wider book. And then, you know, what are the historical considerations that are going to help me to understand it better? But even then, I'm still not done. Still, I have to make sure that when I teach in this case, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, that I know how to apply that text to people who are reading it today. What does it actually mean to us? You know, from this text, what's God saying to our lives? What do I need to understand? What do I need to believe? Is there something of which I need to repent? Are there reasons now that I should simply glorify God and give thanks to him for what I am reading? How will this change my understanding of Jesus and increase my love relationship with him? And then once I've done that and taught Philippians 2, 5 to 11, the very next day I'm going to move on, say, to you know Philippians 2, 12 to 13, and I'm going to repeat the same process. See, it's our view and mine. If people listen to this approach, letting the Scripture speak, and making sure that John Newfeld steps out of the way, that will help our listeners and you who listen faithfully that over time, You'll come to know the thoughts of God and know God's will for your life and learn how to entrust your life into the loving hands of our Savior Jesus. Let me say it now. You should not care one whit what John Newfell thinks about anything. You should care what God himself, through his written word, is saying to your life. And I, for my part, want that to be my role. I want to take myself and my opinions out of the equation and let you concentrate on the word of God. So that's our first approach to studying the Word, that all study of the Word starts with an actual text of Scripture. It demands we get our nose down into the details of the text, understand it, believe it, confess our sins, surrender to God's will in our lives through the individual Bible passages. Now remember, I've said there are three ways of studying the Bible, and that's the first. The second method of Bible study is just a little wider. 
when one studies, let's say the book of Philippians, you can't simply study a single Bible text. You have to, if you will, look up and see the wider context. Philippians, in my example, was written by the Apostle Paul. One should notice that Paul wrote 13 letters, and then one should notice that in what has been called the Pauline literature, there are a series of 13 different letters to different churches or to leaders of local churches, and there are themes in Paul's system of thought. One notices, for instance, that Paul often speaks about the law of Moses and its relationship to the gospel of Jesus. Or we notice that Paul has a very detailed description of the actual person of Jesus, that is, who he is, the authority that he has. Also, Paul speaks at length about the church, and then we also notice that he speaks about salvation, and he uses words like justification or being in Christ or redemption, or he also uses regeneration. And so, whenever we study an individual text, let's say it's in Philippians, we should be aware that when we come to a concept in an individual text, we need to be aware of how that concept is treated in other places also written by Paul. And then after we've done that, the one who studies the Bible needs to be aware of how the same theme is handled in the rest of the New Testament. I mean, how does Peter or John handle that theme? Are there things that those writers add that contribute to the theme? That is to say, the one studying the Bible begins to grow in their Bible study whenever they're aware of key words, key themes, and see how those words, concepts, or themes are treated in the wider Bible. See, in so doing, the person who studies an individual Bible text has eyes on a wider appreciation for what's being communicated in that individual text. I hope you're seeing something, something I want God's people to demand of their Bible teachers. They need to demand their Bible teachers have a certain gravitas, you know, an ability to comprehend, but also the ability to communicate that matter in ways that everyone can understand. The key is to make the Bible accessible to everyone. You know, it may seem complicated at first, but it's not. Simply jumping in and listening to Bible teaching over time helps the hearer to study along and then over time to develop the skills for himself or herself. And that's the key. We and I want to teach the Bible in such a way that you, the hearer, slowly learn to study the Bible for yourself. I don't want you to be reliant on me. I want you to be reliant on the Scripture which will make you reliant on God. June is one of the most significant months of the year financially for the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Like every family, individual, and organization across the country, we've had to adjust our expenses this past year. But despite the challenges and because of your consistent support, We continue to be committed to making all of our Bible teaching programming and resources available without interruption. To help maintain this commitment, a group of generous ministry supporters who share our heart for Bible teaching have offered to double your gifts this month. The June ministry target for our fiscal year end is $325,000. Would you help to provide a financial gift towards that goal? Remember, every dollar you give will be matched up to $75,000, so your gift has doubled the impact. To make your fiscal year-end gift today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I've 
said that there are three ways of doing Bible study. You know, first start with the individual text, make sure you know it, and then second, understand how any individual text relates to the wider context of the works of that author, as well as the rest of the Bible. And there's a third way of doing Bible study that must not be passed over. And the technical phrase that we use to describe this way of doing Bible study is the phrase systematic theology. And some of you know of what I'm speaking, but for some of my listeners, that might be a new term. So let me explain. Let's start by assuming for a moment that you're having a conversation with someone who wants to know how to become a Christian. What exactly must I do to be right with God, he or she asks. Well, one possible answer that you might give, well, just read your Bible. Start at the beginning and then with time, just keep reading and you'll soon understand. Now, if that's how the conversation goes, don't be surprised if your imaginary friend starts in Genesis, somewhere ends up in Leviticus and gets bogged down and forgets their initial question. See, in a sense, that's what systematic theology is all about. See, it tries to trace and explain the great themes of the whole Bible. See, this approach to Bible study is not a verse-by-verse analysis of a text. Rather, it's an attempt to discover the grand themes of the Bible and then find out every place in the entire Bible that speaks on that theme and then summarize what the Bible says. So let's get back to our imaginary conversation with a friend that asks you how to become a Christian. Let's say in response, you tell your friend, in order to know what to do, let me explain five important concepts found in the Bible. First, the Bible says there's a God who's perfect and righteous and holy and glorious. He's the most important thing, for without him, nothing can exist, and without him, there is no good. And then second, the Bible says that God is your creator, and you were created in his image. You were created for him. You were created to live forever, ruling over God's creation in loving and joyful obedience to him. And then third, the Bible says that our first parents, Adam and Eve, well, they decided to rebel against God's plan for their lives. And then consequently, they ruptured the relationship they had with God. And so they were subject to death and alienation from God and were eventually destined to stand before God's throne of justice. But not only them, but all of Adam's children have inherited this disease of rebellion that we call sin. See, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And fourth, God responded in love and in mercy. Yeah, we do deserve judgment, but in mercy, God sent his son into the world to take our place. He did it by going to the cross as our sin substitute. He's our sin bearer. He suffered in our place. And once his suffering was complete, God's justice was satisfied in Christ. And fifth, To this, all of us are required to respond. The only fitting response to such love is that we acknowledge our sin before God and that we respond by confessing our sins and pledging to turn from them. And in so doing, we tell God we no longer trust ourselves. We're going to trust in Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. So we surrender our lives fully into the hands of Jesus. And as we do it, we commit to being baptized under the forgiveness of sins. See, we might add that the Bible promises that all who hope in Christ have eternal life. See, we've come full circle. In Christ, we receive all that God had planned for us when we were created. In Christ, all the promises of God become a great big yes. And with that, we turn to our friend and ask, is that what you'd like? Now, let's just assume that this is the conversation you've just had with your friend. If that's the conversation you've had, you might not be aware of it, 
but you've just taken your friend through his first lesson in systematic theology. You have, in a shortened form, told your friend what the entire Bible has to say about becoming a Christian. And if you did it, approximately like what I just described, you're a pretty good systematic theologian. By the way, congratulations. You see, systematic theology, or the study of what the whole Bible says about anything, is based on a number of assumptions. The first is that the Bible really is a unity. It really does speak with but one voice, and not simply a wide diversity of differing voices. We're assuming the Bible really is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it can be trusted to speak consistently in all its parts. But we're also making a number of other assumptions. One other assumption is that it really is possible to look at every biblical text on a given theme. Let's say we wanted to do a systematic theology on what God says about prayer. Now, if we do the study badly, we're just going to pick those texts in the Bible that say what we want to say. But if we do the study well, we'll take the time to consider every single text in the entire Bible that touches on the subject of prayer then we might categorize all those Bible passages. And after that, having considered the whole of what the Bible says, we should be able to come to some conclusions as to what God wants of us in our prayers. Now, having said all of that, it is important for us when doing systematic theology that it arises out of the other methods of Bible study I've already mentioned. That is, it's very important that we don't take a Bible verse here and a Bible verse there and simply take these passages out of context. It's important that when we study systematic theology, we've done our proper homework. Now, are your eyes beginning to glaze over? Well, they shouldn't be. That's because I've got extremely good news. You're not the first person to study the Bible. There's been a long history of people doing great systematic theologies for 2,000 years before you were born. And so let's give one easy example. Back in the year A.D. 325, a group of bishops from the global Christian church met together in a place called Nicaea. It's now in the nation of Turkey. They had gathered together because of a controversy that was threatening to tear the Christian church to ribbons. A certain Bible teacher by the name of Arius had been teaching that Jesus was a created being. He said that God created Jesus first, and then after that, through Jesus, he created everything else. And according to Arius, Jesus wasn't God. He was just a created being of like substance to God, yet different from God. Other Bible teachers strongly disagreed, and so came the famous Council of Nicaea, where the Bible was opened and the bishops came to study all that the Bible had to say on the nature of Jesus. Arius made his case, and then so did someone else. That someone else, I would argue, is one of the great heroes of the Christian church. His name was Athanasius. Studying what the whole Bible said and taking each Bible verse in context, Athanasius led the bishops at Nicaea to John 1 verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, that text says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And Athanasius asked an obvious question. If everything that has been made, that is, the sum total of all the made or created things were made by Jesus, then what is Jesus? If he, as Arius has stated, is himself in the created category, then according to John 1 verse 3, he must have made himself, which of course is a logical absurdity. And so reading all Bible texts led the church to say, yeah, Jesus is the great uncreated creator. And that's held for all the years since. That matter was settled then. You know, the same can also be said about the other great doctrines of the church. 
Doctrines come not because we make them up, but they come because of two reasons. First, false teachers necessitate we state what's true as opposed to what's false. And secondly, the study of the whole Bible often leads us to a conclusion that stands the test of time. Now, the study of systematic theology typically gets divided up into major themes of study. And historically, there have been seven major themes. Number one, what does the Bible say about itself? We call this the doctrine of Scripture. I've already briefly talked about that last week, but but there's much more that can be said. Number two, what does the whole Bible say about God? What are his attributes? How do we understand him? And since the Father, Son, and the Spirit are all called the one God— How do we understand the Trinity? Number three, what does the whole Bible say about what it means to be human? And here we can talk about the nature of humanity and about the image of God and about the nature of the fall and and so forth. Number four, what does the whole Bible say about the person of Christ and about the Holy Spirit? Number five, what does the whole Bible say about redemption, about our salvation? And number six, what does the whole Bible say about the church What is the church and what is the church to do? And finally, number seven, what does the whole Bible say about end times or last things or what's often been called the doctrine of eschatology? See, when we hear it back to the Bible or I as the Bible teacher examine any individual text, I'm always aware of the author and the place of that text in the whole as well as the findings of good systematic theology. And so when we say we teach the Bible, that's a part of what we mean. When you, the listener, turn to the radio or listen on a podcast, you have the assurance that we've done our homework, that we let the Bible do the talking. Thanks, John. You know, I'm just thinking here, with everything that you've described, is it simply too much to be expected of the average believer? Well, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) no, I I think that uh, the average believer can learn at least to be reading the Bible regularly. And when you do that, read it through. Then you'll get a sense of where it's going. It's also, I think, of great help that if somewhere along the line we get a good course in systematic theology. Now, I personally, uh, with some reservation, but but most of the time, recommend uh, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, who has done a masterful job of communicating some of the great Christian doctrines in very understandable language. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, A Mission for Ministry, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Deuteronomy 11.19 reminds us that we're to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to the words of Scripture, to ensure the Bible is being taught to our children and being talked about wherever we are and at every time of day. The 11.19 Fellowship, our monthly partner program, has become an essential contributor to making all the ministries and resources of Back to the Bible Canada possible. Now over 700 strong, the 1119 Fellowship represents donors from across the country committed to the mission and ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, laugh again and in doubt. One 1119 member wrote us to say, I know that I can trust what is taught by Dr. Newfeld. This is why we became monthly supporters. 
To become a part of our monthly partner program, the 1119 Fellowship, or to learn more about the benefits of joining, visit backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425. Thank you for supporting Bible teaching you can trust.